Usually I begin and start out uh, telling a joke or something silly, but uh, this morning I just want to take a moment to be personal with you and share my heart. Um, Wednesday night when I came, I was down spiritually. Um, I've been struggling with with uh, a little bit of uh, what God has intended for me and His purpose for me. And um, it was interesting because I came... If you were here Wednesday night, uh, Pastor focused on... Focused during our uh, our request time on two categories. He focused on spiritual concerns, and he went around and called on people, and I was waiting for him to call on me, and I had the answer. My answer, I was ready to go. And then he went to praises, and the longer I sat there, the more I realized what I was going to say for my spiritual concern was, uh, well, actually, I was, I was focusing on my praise. My, my praise was going to be, uh, it's, I, I praise God that I know exactly, I'm, I know right now I'm exactly where God wants me to be. Um, that was going to be my praise, but the longer I sat there, I thought, God, God, God brought me to Florida and, and some of you have heard my story, and there were some pretty miraculous things that he did to show me this is where I need to be. And he's done that in my life throughout my whole life. And I'd, I don't count on those things to make my spiritual decisions, but those back up the decisions that I'm making. When he shows me clearly, that's, that's where I'm going to be. And I, I haven't had any of those in a while. And I started thinking about that. Uh, God has not directly reached down and impacted my life lately. So may, maybe I'm not where I belong. And then when he got to the praise part, I was afraid he was going to call on me because I wasn't ready for that. So I, when I left Wednesday night, I was, I was in a spiritual quandary. Um, and I was all day Thursday and all day Friday. And then something little happened to me Friday night after school. Um, I got home and I was staring at the pile of mail that was in my they haven't opened all week because I'm afraid of some of the bills. <laughs> so they stack up. And uh, I, I went into the kitchen and I took two chicken patties and put them in my air fryer. And I went back and sat on the couch. And after about uh, 10 minutes, I didn't smell the chicken patties cooking, which is odd. So I went out there and I opened them up, opened up the air fryer, and they were still frozen. I was like, oh no, maybe I just forgot to push the tray in tight enough. So I pushed it back in and Another five minutes went out, and I opened it up. They were still frozen. My air fryer was broken. I know. And I haven't cooked any other way in two years, so I don't know the, how to do that. So being the uh, mechanical person I am, I took my air fryer apart, and I found that the whole motherboard was black, and there were some wires that were black and broken, and my air fryer died. And I texted my wife and said, my air fr- the air fryer's dead. And she said, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. I just know that people can go without food for five days, so I'm good for that long. <laughs> she said, go buy another one. And I said, um, babe, the way we're at now, uh, we're just going to have to go without for a while because things are tight right now. Things are really tight. And... Um, I uh, tried to put it back together, and I couldn't even put the air fryer back together, which is probably good. It was broken then. Put it in the dumpster, went back and sat down trying to figure out how to cook two chicken patties the old-fashioned way. There's a microwave or something you can put them in. I don't know. And uh, I started opening the mail, and then I got to the Costco one. And again, my heart dropped because the Costco one says that October 1st, 
your membership is over and they're going to take 60 bucks out of you for your membership for Costco. And I didn't want to open that, but I opened it. And it was a check for $100 for an air fryer and a membership. So I left the frozen patties on the counter, said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for meeting the need I needed right at the... It was tiny. It was little. But it was his reassurance that I'm exactly where I need to be in this church, in the unity we have together. And I'm thankful for the church he's given me here. And this morning, I want to talk a little bit about the measure of the first century church. Last week, we talked specifically about the first century church and how they came together and, and some, of the, some of the characteristics of the first century church. And this morning, I want to talk about becoming a new normal church. No. I want to talk about becoming a New Testament church because that's what our Bible says. We need to be like the first century church that God puts us, that put in the Bible. The characteristics they had are the same characteristics we need to have here in the 21st century of the United States of America. We need to have the same characteristics as that first century church. Every company, every school, Every organization needs a flag to fly. What it's known for. What they're measured by. But the measure of the first century church was its likeness to Christ. That was the banner they raised. We are going to be a church that is Christ-like. Like Jesus Christ. Everything that we do, and this is the whole topic today, being like Christ. Everything we do here at our church Everything we do as a Christian, everything that we do as a congregation that is not like Jesus is an ugly blemish. There was a slogan years ago, Michael Jordan. Everyone wanted to be like Mike. If you remember that, be like Mike. And whatever Mike would do, everyone else wanted. They wanted to wear the same shoes as Michael Jordan. They wanted to tie their shoes the same way. They wanted to stick out their tongue when they made a basket. Everything that Michael Jordan did, they wanted to do. We need to be the same way. Everything that Christ was like as a church, we need to be like. And we learn a lot about the first century church in the book of Ephesians. So if you have your Bibles this morning, open to Ephesians chapter 4. I will show most of these verses on the big screen, and I know last week it was a little hard to see, so let me know in the back row, Sue, if, if this is harder to see or better to see, so I tried to make an adjustment for you. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, I want to start reading in verse 11. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11. Here's what the Bible says. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto the perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I love that. That we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with the every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, 
from the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. This beautiful passage, these wonderful six verses here have to do with the church. The picture here is that the church is the body of Christ and that every part of the body has to function together. All of it, even when we don't feel them, right, Chris? When we feel the pain, we didn't even realize we had body parts and parts that hurt now, right? We feel all those parts have to work together. If Christ were to come to earth and walk on the earth as he once did, and there's no indication that he will, uh, how would he do it? How would, he, how would he show himself? Well, he's not told us he's going to do that, but he did, in some sense, say that through this local church, this local assembly of saved, baptized members that have gathered together to carry out the Great Commission, this is how he's walking on earth today, through us, because we're to be Christ-like. Each New Testament church is Christ's body here on the earth. The Bible says, in its very own words, Till we all come in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, a mature man, which we talked about before, unto, here it comes, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's maturity. Maturing Christ. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of man and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. It's basically what this thing is when we come to the place that we have the unity of faith to the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ, maturity, we're going to stop acting childishly as Christians. Paul actually uses the example of childbirth. To this, to exemplify, to, to exemplify this painful process of, of becoming unified and be, becoming mature. Galatians chapter 4, verse 19 says, My little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in, uh, in you. He's saying, Paul says, Here, I travailed at you at first when I was leading you to the Lord, when I was bringing you the gospel the first time, it was painful to watch you slowly come to Christ. And then now that you've been saved, I'm travailing again, having those pains again, that you be delivered from the outward religion, from the world. Paul's saying the same thing here in verse 13. We're to be like Christ. Every part of our life needs to be yielded to him. To be like Christ is our ultimate example. So then, if we are like Christ, then all of us together can be unified. His body becomes complete, his church becomes complete, and it functions like it should. The measure of the first century church was to be like Christ. This past summer, I, uh, I, I decided, uh, being in Michigan, when you have a mailbox that lasts for eight months, because that's all they last, because snowplows come through and pfft, wipe out your mailbox. I decided this last um, summer when I was there, I was going to put in a mailbox 
that this time when the snowplow came through, it would hurt the snowplow. So I was going to put it in a mailbox. It wasn't going to move. And I, I had to do three things to get that mailbox. First of all, I had to get the right parts, the tools, to get the mailbox. Number two, I had to put it in a location where it wasn't going to get hit. And number three, I had to have a plan. I had to have an outline. I had to have a, a schedule for what I was going to do step by step by step. And I didn't have all the tools, so I had to go to Home Depot and get the tools. And I got this big 8x8 eight eight post, and I dug holes, and I dug it down there. I got all the tools I needed. I, I had to get my table saw out, and I, I had to cut it just right. And I had to get the huge bolts and screws, and I had to get the cement to put it down in hard so when he hit it, he knew he hit it. Um, I had, I had to have a plan, and I got online and, and, and found a perfect picture for what I wanted. I had to have all those things in place. Christ is saying the same thing here in Ephesians. I've got, I've got, I've got to get the right ministries together. I've got to get the right tools together. I've got to have the right plan in place. I've got to put it in the right spot for my church. And I want to show you all three of those steps here this morning as we look at the church of Ephesus which was told to be Christ-like. First of all, I want to look at God's ministries. In Ephesians chapter 4, yes, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, because this is the church at Ephesus, God lists five different things, five different duties, five different ministries or tools that he's going to use in the organization of this first church here. It's found in verse 11. The first one says, and he gave some apostles. Now, apostles were people that were sent to witness. But there was one qualification of apostles of this office, which no longer exists today, because apostles were to be an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ. But to be sent as a witness, as the word apostle implies, this is what we should all be doing. That doesn't mean we're all apostles. That means we need to all be sent. We need to all be doing it. Christ was sent. The apostles were sent. And yes, we as individuals, as members of the body of Christ, as members of this church, we are also sent to be witnesses. And he gave some apostles. Number two, it says, and some prophets. A second ministry is he gave some prophets. This is foretelling of the gospel prophets before the scriptures came were foretelling they were telling what was going to happen god revealing what happened to them before it was going to happen and they would tell it that no longer exists today because we have god's word we have the full written revelation of god we don't need foretellers we need foretellers people that take what god's word says and tells others foretelling but instead, we should be preaching the word of God, declaring God's word. He gave some apostles to the church, to that first church he put in prophets. He also sent evangelists. Those are people that go with the gospel message into areas that Christ is not known. Missionaries. The work of an evangelist is winning souls, establishing churches, at the earliest part of the first century church, the evangelist did his work, and then someone came to Christ. He'd go witness, he'd go tell, and people would come to, come to Christ. Evangelist, going where Christ is not known. And then it says, 
and some pastors. Pastors, as we talked about last week, are people that shepherd. They oversee. They feed the flock. They take oversight. They serve under the Lord and his direction. Pastors. And the final category in verse 11 says, and teachers. Teachers are those that explain the scripture line by line, precept upon precept. They compare scriptures with other scriptures. They declare the word of the Lord. Wow, that was a tough outline, wasn't it? See, I don't even have to outline it. God outlines it for us. These are the tools that he uses in the church. Some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. These gifts, when put in place in the local church, exemplify Christ, his ministry, his body. There's sending, there's preaching, there's reaching, there's pastoring, there's teaching. Our job, our ministry, is to continue his ministry. And these duties, these ministries, enable us to do that. Then look at verse 12. Verse 12, why? Why? Why those, why those jobs? Why those ministries? Why those duties? It goes on to say, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. If I was not a teacher, I would easily be able to outline this in three different points. For the perfecting of the saints. It's, it's making us mature. We need to ma- yield every every area of our lives to him but we don't we all have that little closet in our heart that god everything is yours but don't touch that that's mine mature christians perfecting christians are those that yield every area of our life to him when when we, i know you don't ever do this i do once in a while uh we ever react wrongly when someone or something says something to us you know what that is That's an indication that there is an area of our life that's not been fully yielded to God. And somebody just put their finger on it. And we're like, wait a minute. And we get defensive and we get proud. And God says, "Mm, I just did that because I wanted to show you that that's not mine yet. We're not perfect. We're not mature. And Paul says those jobs, those ministries, if we're working together in unity, become a step at the perfecting of the saints. Secondly, same verse, for the work of the ministry. For the work of the ministry. Notice it doesn't say for the work of the ministry on Sunday and Wednesday night. The work of the ministry has to be done on a daily basis. And it grows out of the life of those saints that are being perfected. It's not confined to this local building. It's not confined to where we work or where we travel and where we live. And it's not just confined to our neighborhood. We need to speak Christ. We need to live like Christ. We need to be like Christ would on a daily basis. Do you remember remember the wristbands we used to wear? WWJD. What would Jesus do? That's really what this is. This is living like Jesus would live, becoming like Christ. And then he says, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Edifying means to build up, to stack up on top of each other. I, I, one of the things 
I think that makes me as a different school teacher, and there are others that do this, um, and there are those that do this fakely, and you can tell. Fakely, is that a word? It is now. Um, I try to edify my students. I try to praise my students. I, I'm always positive towards my students. Now, one time a, a principal came to me and said, we, we need to be positive in everything you do. And, and I had a student that was really struggling, and I, I went to my principal and said, listen, listen, this child is really struggling. I'm not sure I know how to help them. And my principal said, oh, don't forget, we need to be positive. And I said, okay, I'm positive this student is struggling. <laughs> we, we need to be positive encouragers of one another. That also means we got to understand that not everybody's at the same place of the perfecting of the saints. Not everybody's at the same maturity level. I remember uh, a friend of mine, now is a friend of mine, uh, came into our church one time and, and uh, he got saved. And I remember the day he went forward, he had the long beard, he had long hair, he had tattoos on his arm, he had, he had a nose ring, and he got saved. And there were baby steps I remember the first day he came to church, months later, and his hair was cut, and his beard was short. I was like, who are you? Because he didn't look like the rock star anymore. And four or five months later, he preached on a Wednesday night in a suit and a tie, and you couldn't see the tattoos, and his hair was short, and he had no beard at all. And I'm like, who are you? It's the little steps that we go. And each way along the way, he got encouragement from the body of Christ saying, wonderful job. That was great. That was fabulous. We didn't go right after him. Oh, you need to cut your hair. You're saved now. Scrub those tattoos off your arm. We don't say things like that. We got to edify. It's like building rocks or building a tower with one rock on top of the other. Just as you would surely place one rock on top of another, that's how you build, that's how you edify the body of Christ. We don't walk over to a kid's sandcastle as they're building it and kick it down. That's not good enough. It's not a finished product. But we do that to some Christians when they're growing. we got to edify the body of Christ. God says that there are things that should be placed in your life to build upon to be strengthened as a Christian. So why do we assemble together? Why do we meet together as a group? Colossians chapter 1, verse 28 says, Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may be present, that we may present every man perfect, mature in Christ. That's the goal. So that we might be perfected. The weak areas of our lives, which we all have, and they're all different, they're brought to our realization by the Spirit of God as he convicts. We learn, God just brought this to me, so I'm going to say it. We're not the Spirit of God. It's not our job to convict. It's not our job. That's the Spirit of God. And as people sit under the Word of God, under the preaching and teaching of God's Word, it's His job, and He will do it. He'll convict them in those areas of their lives. When we do that, we learn how to do the work of the ministry. So we're united. Then we're built up. As part of the po- local assembly, it's your responsibility to move toward the measure of the stature of the fullness of of Christ. 
God gave these people's duties to do in the church so that our measure would be like that to Christ, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I've got to hurry now. Number two, God's church at Ephesus. We were reading Ephesians. I want to jump over to Acts because Acts chapter 19 is where, where we see a picture of this specific church at Ephesus. Paul's writing the uh, church at Ephesus through the book of Ephesians. And we can look back to Acts chapter 19. In Acts chapter 19, we look back at the church at Ephesus. We, come, we uncover some amazing history behind the church. Acts chapter 19, in verse 8, it says, And he, Paul, went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. They spent three months, the church spent three months in the synagogue. Ephesus, Ephesus was a seacoast town. It was a border town right on the, on the sea. It was very commercialized. It was very um, religious, but it was full of superstitious religions. Lots of false idols. In fact, they had the Temple of Diana right there at the uh, city of Ephesus. They greatly resisted the truth of the gospel. It was a very important gateway city between uh, uh, that led into Asia Minor. And the man of God, Paul, marched right to the center of this, right to the synagogue. And the Bible says he disputed and persuaded until he had a core group. The Bible actually numbers the group. said there were 12 men there. He got his first church with 12 guys who were earnestly seeking the, the truth. And then if you look down at the next couple verses in verse 9 and 10, they rented a hall for two years. It says, but when divers were hardened... And believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude. He departed unto them, departed unto them, and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannius. And this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. The, the opposition got hard, it got tough. So Paul quit, right? No. He took his core believers. He rented a hall. He said, hey, we're not going anywhere. I'm renting a hall. This is becoming permanent. And not only were they meeting there, the Bible tells us they were launching out from there so that all Asia heard, preaching the gospel, seeking souls saved, starting new churches. It became the center for evangelizing other areas and seeing souls saved. And then in the next verses, we see a great uproar in the city. Look at verse 18. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also, which used curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them, and they found it 50,000 pieces of silver. I love verse 20. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Satan is always going to oppose a work. You might not know this, but Satan is opposing this work today. He's opposing this. And here, here at the Church of Emphasis, people brought all kinds of things to be burned so that we could have a record of how much that is. Somebody recorded its value, 50,000 pieces of silver. And then the people of the city, the commercialized people said, hey, our, our sales are being impacted. We've got to get rid of these people. But God miraculously 
delivered Paul to continue that work that God had given him to do. And then in, verse, in chapter 20, Paul's getting ready to leave Ephesus. Ephesus. He's getting, getting ready to leave, and he leaves this farewell statement. He says, therefore, watch in verse 31, and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone day and night with tears. God gave them the tools to be like Christ, the ministries. He gave them the location to be like Christ. And now he gives them the plan. Number three, God's outline. And this is also in Acts chapter 20. He shows us a couple things about his plan, his outline. Number one, verse 27, he says, Do not shun any of the counsel of God, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Some Christians want to pick and choose their faith. I like this part. Ooh, I'm not sure I agree with that. Paul gave them everything, all of it, nothing left out. Strong churches are strong because they're made up of Christians that are obedient to God's word, all of it. Not the parts they agree with, all of it. Do not shun any of the counsel of God. Verse 28, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock of God, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. The Bible says to take heed to yourself. Don't just shun all the, any of the counsel of God, but take heed to yourself. We need to keep ourselves right. If you listen to your own words, you'll discover that you often complain about what other people are doing. Did you see how they're doing that? That's from you. That's in your head even. We complain about what other people do. But we need to take, we need to take heed to ourselves. A couple years ago, I decided I was going to... You probably don't have any of this at your workplace. But we have a lot of um, inner strife and uh, political viewpoints. And people that do something that you don't agree with, so you go talk to somebody about, about what they're doing. A couple years ago, I decided I was going to use the phrase MMOB, mind my own business. 1 Timothy 4.16 says, take heed unto thyself, take heed unto thyself, and unto the doctrine, continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. You... You are personally accountable to God for you. I'm personally accountable to God for me. What you do spiritually, I'm not accountable for. What I do, you're not accountable for. But don't forget, you are also someone else's role model spiritually. There are people that are looking at you as a role model spiritually. Oh, nobody's looking at me. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. When my kids line up to walk in the hallways at school, I always say, hey, we're going to be passing a third grade classroom. They're watching you. And when they get to fifth grade, they're going to be watching them. And my kids can walk the straightest, quietest line when I tell them that. Otherwise, it's like herding cats. It's <laughs> you need to take heed to yourself. 
Feed on God's word daily. Look at verse 26, 28, the second half. It says, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. We don't know much about hunger in the United States. We really don't. You probably don't know this, but 12,000 people die every year from hunger, from starvation. 12,000. One-third of the children in the world go hungry every night to bed. One-third. And the problem, isn't, the problem isn't the supply. The problem is the distribution. Getting it. We got plenty of food. I threw some food away yesterday. You threw some food away yesterday. It's not... It's not the supply, it's the distribution. The same is true with the word of God. Yet God's children ignore his word. How, how do we get these people the food? How, how do, if, if I had a hungry child from my classroom, if I had a starving child that came to my house from a different country, would I take them to the Golden Corral buffet to feed them? I don't think so. I'd start a little bit at a time. Feed them a piece by piece. The same is true with God's word. You don't want to take a, a starving Christian and shove the whole thing down their throats. We got to do it, the Bible says, in love. We read that earlier. They, they need to start reading God's word. You need to see, sir, if you're starving spiritually, read God's word. Then memorize God's word. Then begin searching the scriptures, looking things and comparing one scripture with another. Then you become, it's unlike, it's unlike food. The more, you, more food you get, the fuller you get. God's word's the opposite. The more you get, the more you want, the hungrier you get. Finally, the last one, commend all to God. Commend all to God. And now, brother, in verse 32, I commend you to God, to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to keep you an inheritance among them all, all them all them which are sanctified. Commend all to God. This, this doesn't mean to, to compliment. This commend means to turn loose, to let go. Not to hold to myself, but to commend or to let go. I, my favorite verse as a child, it's still one of my favorites, 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. That means all things commend to God. That means all people commend to God, give over to God. Paul was leaving emphasis here. He was, he was leaving. He was leaving this church. He wasn't going to be one-on-one with them anymore. And he commended them, gave them over to God. There may be some things in our lives that constantly disrupt what we're trying to do for God. Commend them. Let him have them. There may be some things that are in our lives that keep us from becoming more like Christ. Commend them. There may be some people in our lives that that we pray, God, you need to save their souls. You need to bring them back to you. And then you give those to God and then you take them back and then you feel guilty and responsible. Commend those. Paul says you want to be like Christ? Give everything to him. Commend them. Commend all to God. The measure of the first century church was their likeness to Christ. So my question is this. When you look in the mirror, when our church looks in the mirror, are we like Christ? Are we measuring up? Let's pray.
Father, we are thankful that you gave this direction to the church of Ephesus, that they were to be like you on a daily basis so that others could see you through them. We pray, Father, you help us to be like you on an everyday basis. In your name we pray, amen. Next week, we're going to look at the power of the New Testament church. And yeah, there's my air fryer. My new one! If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.